0: Well, please do join me in the book of Acts. We're going to be looking at a lengthy passage this morning. Uh, Acts chapter 9, verse 32, all the way through uh, Acts 11, verse 18. If you're using the blue ESV Bibles in the seatbacks in front of you, you can find our text on page 918. And the title of our sermon is, A Shift in Focus. And the key words for our worshipers and training, our kids to be listening for, our key words are Peter, vision, and Gentiles. If you've not been with us um, lately, uh, or much at all, maybe this is your first time, if you've not been with us as we've been working through the book of Acts together, um, it's important to know that all the way back in Acts 1, verse 8, Jesus had uh, the, the, the newly resurrected, soon to be ascended Lord Jesus, he commissioned his apostles to be his witnesses, to witness to his resurrection in Jerusalem, out into Judea and Samaria, and then finally to the ends of the earth. We then saw in Acts chapter 2 that Jesus, having been exalted to the right hand of God as the newly crowned king of the cosmos, he poured out His Spirit upon His disciples in the day of Pentecost. And He established them, a priesthood of believers, uh, temple builders, if you will. Peter and the eleven apostles then continued to bear witness to Jesus all throughout Jerusalem, expanding this temple as God added to His kingdom day by day those who were being saved. And this temple expansion, this kingdom advance, uh got It was was such that the religious leaders of the day confessed in Acts 5.28 that the apostles had filled Jerusalem with the teaching about Jesus. And eventually this led to a full-blown conflict uh, recorded for us in Acts 7 and 8 where the religious leaders began to fiercely persecute the church driving the disciples from Jerusalem into the surrounding regions of, you guessed it, Judea and Samaria. We see this again, uh, this ministry in Acts 8 and 9, and, and really this persecution and scattering of the church only served to further God's plan and His purpose to bring in the Samaritans into His people. And He does so through the ministry, namely, we see of a man named Philip. It was also during this time that the murderous Pharisee, Saul, who was overseeing and really was the the engine driving much of this persecution against the church, we saw Saul uh, confronted and converted by the Lord Jesus himself, who appeared to him on the way to Damascus. And uh, last week in chapter 9, getting to verse 31, we saw that now that Saul was no longer persecuting the church... There was a measure of peace that existed in the region for the Christians at the time. And the church continued to grow. And that was where uh, we ended last week in verse 31. But at this point, now moving into verse 32, Luke leaves off Saul's ministry for a time. We don't really get back to see much of Saul until we get to chapter 13. In our passage this morning, Luke has shifted back to Peter and to his ministry. Now while, as we will see, Saul, or Paul, he he is to be the apostle to the Gentiles, to the nations. But it's important that we not forget the role that Peter was to play in the initial movements of the expanse of God's kingdom. If you think about it, it was Peter through whom the Lord established the New Testament church in Acts 2 among the Jewish disciples. It was also through Peter and John in Acts 8 that the Lord formally brought the Samaritans into the fold when they came and laid hands on them, thus giving them the Holy Spirit. And now it will be through Peter that the Lord brings the Gentiles into the one people of God as well, and so I want to read this passage. It is long, but we but it's important. So we're going to read the entirety of the passage. Uh, I will then outline the sermon and what we're going to do, and then we will get to work. So let's read together, uh, Acts nine thirty two through eleven eighteen. Now, as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called to his two servants. He called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among them who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day as they were on their journey and approaching the city, who was spoken well of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you, to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guest. The next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was, ex- was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with you, or to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So what so when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. And Cornelius said, Four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in the house, in my house at the ninth hour. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner, by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened his mouth and said, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right and acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him, and we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed. Because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained it uh, to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, What God has made clean, do not call uncommon. do not call common. This happened three times, and all was drawn up into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were, in which we were sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us he had seen the angel stand by his house and said, "And say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. As he began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will... Be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same spirit to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent and glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Anybody need a break? (laughs) Alright, so there are, there are four movements that this passage makes uh, that I want you to see with me this morning. And again, as we're going through Acts, uh, the, the goal is, is not necessarily to make sure we've covered every single little nook and cranny of the book. That would take us, well, the rest of our lives and beyond to get through. And so we're really trying to keep going at a good pace to cover the, the, the major thread of the book. And so... We're not going to try to get too bogged down here, but I want to really get the major point here. And so here's the, the four movements the, the, the passage makes in order to see this main point about the inclusion of the Gentiles into the people of God. First, back in chapter 9, uh, we'll see in verses 32 through 43, uh, we'll see Peter's ministry among the Jews who had been scattered uh, back in chapter 8. Then in the first 23 verses of chapter 10, we'll see God's providential use of both visions and visitors to prepare the church, namely Peter here, to receive Gentile converts uh, in a mass scale. And third, in verses 24 through 48 um, of chapter 10, we'll see God unite Jews and Gentiles together in the one people of God. And then fourth, in chapter 11, 1 through 18, we'll see Peter give his report of what had happened at Cornelius' house. So look with me in the first place then. Back in chapter 9, verses 32 through 43, where we see Luke return to Peter and to his ministry. You know, one of the last times we really saw Peter as we're going through the book of Acts was back in Acts 5. He had been arrested with the other apostles, but they were then beaten and released Without being murdered, despite the plans of the religious leaders, now despite being told to stop preaching in the name of Jesus, they continued to do so. We're told in chapter five, and they did so every day, from house to house and in the temple. Well, here we pick up with Peter again in nine thirty-two, and we see that even after the uh, the scattering of Acts eight, he's now going in and out among the the disciples in this dispersion. And we're really just given two very brief statements summarizing Peter's ministry during this time. We see a man named Aeneas. He's bedridden for eight years. He's paralyzed. And Peter simply proclaims to the man, Jesus Christ heals you. Make your bed. And immediately we see that he gets up. And the result is that all the the residents of Lydda and nearby Sharon saw and turned to the Lord in faith. We then see in verses thirty-six through forty-three that Peter was called over to Joppa, since it was nearby, and a woman named Tabitha, or how about this for a name, Dorcas, she had died. She she had been a faithful woman, full of good works and acts of charity, and she had been, you can tell, particularly important to the life of the church there. In verse thirty-nine, we see all the widows gathered around her corpse with their tunics and the other garments that she had made for them. She had served the saints and the church well, and her death had been especially felt by the disciples there in Joppa. And so they call for Peter. And when he comes, he puts them all outside, and very simply, as he had with Aeneas, he speaks to her and he tells her to rise. Now, as astounding as it was that a paralyzed man could begin to walk after eight years— how much more astounding that a dead woman, after at least several days, rises from the dead. And what, and the point in both of these stories is is quite simply this, because they all both end very similarly, that many turn to the Lord in Joppa as well as in Lydda and Sharon It is the Lord Jesus who continues this ministry. This is not Peter's show. It's not Paul's show, as we'll see. It is the Lord Jesus who is doing these things, who is expanding and blessing and growing His church. It is not Peter who receives glory here, who receives disciples, who receives believers, but it is the Lord Jesus. And so, Simon... Peter is staying at Simon's house, the tanner, by the sea there in Joppa. And his focus, it has been exclusively to the the people of Israel, to, to the Jews at the time. His focus is about to take a dramatic shift during his stay in Joppa. And so look with me in the second place at verses 1 through 23 of chapter 10. And here we see these two visions and the visitors that God uses to prepare Peter and the church for full Gentile inclusion. We really can't overstate the chasm that existed between Jews and Gentiles at this time. The idea that there would be Gentile after Gentile after Gentile coming into the church, that there would be one people of God, uh, even for those who had been followers, close followers of Jesus, would have been almost unthinkable. Very strange. Even Peter, as you, we read about in Galatians two, struggles with this and falls back and 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 withdraws fellowship from Gentiles. Later, um, it, it was something that it's very difficult for us to to grasp. You know, we, we have the the context maybe of, of of the Civil War in our country that gives you maybe some sense of. Of different divides between people groups, but uh, even that, uh, we're, we've not gotten the full um, understanding here. And so, what we need to try to, to grasp that as we come into this passage. In the first eight verses of chapter 10, we, we meet a man named Cornelius. He's a Gentile, he's, uh, he's a, a centurion of the Italian cohort, and we're told that he was a devout man who feared God with all his household. Luke writes that he he gave alms generously to the people. He prayed continually to God. And one day at about 3 p.m., an hour of prayer, Cornelius praying, uh, certainly he was met with a visitor, an angel of God, at whose command he sends for Peter. And so the next day at noon, just prior to the envoy's arrival, Peter is on the roof praying. And as one does, he becomes hungry. And as the food was being prepared, he falls into a trance, and he sees a very strange vision. He describes it, it's a sheet let down from heaven with all kinds of animals on it, including reptiles and birds, and essentially all of this, if you look at Leviticus 11, the, the things that were clean and unclean, uh, it would have been quite shocking, even perhaps offensive to a Jew to, to hear this voice say, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. And we see it in his response. He says, No, I've never eaten anything unclean. But three times this thing happens until it was taken up into heaven. The Jews had strict dietary regulations that kept them uh, noticeably separate and, 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 and set apart from the, the surrounding nations at the time. And so the removal of these, these dietary restrictions, these, these eating orders, would have, uh, again, been, been quite shocking. And so Peter is, is perplexed. But as he's pondering the vision, the Spirit tells him that there were men who were looking for him and that he should go with them because the Spirit had sent them to Peter. And so we read that Peter treats them hospitably and then travels with them to Caesarea the next day. Now, before we look at what happens when they get there, I want to back up and just think about the man Cornelius for a minute. Um, There's there's some considerable debate about Cornelius' spiritual condition at this point in the story. right? So the question is, is Cornelius already saved at the beginning of chapter 10? He's a devout man, he fears God, he prays, he gives alms. Is is he saved? And and I think that it's a mistake to make that, to make his particular, the timeline of his exact conversion uh, the main focus of this passage. It's not our primary concern here to be determined with whether or not Cornelius, for instance, would have gone to hell prior to Peter's visit. The point in all of these individual accounts that we've been looking at since Acts 8 with Simon the uh, sorcerer or the Ethiopian eunuch or Saul the persecuting Pharisee. Now here we have this Gentile Cornelius. The point in these accounts isn't so much to tell you everything you need to know about the individuals but to see that the kingdom of God was now in the New Covenant, expanding to include Jews and Samaritans and Gentiles. There was no people group left off the map of God's radar. The gospel of the kingdom was now to go to, in full force, those who were well-to-do and well-known, like Simon the Magician. It was to go to those who were complete outsiders, like the, the eunuch from Ethiopia, it was uh, to those who were go to, that were, they, were, they were very religious, even to a fault. The, the murderous Pharisees saw. And it was to go to the Gentiles. So we should remember, too, that this is a particularly unique period in church history, right? The gospel had not yet reached the nations as it was about to do. And so the question, could someone be saved at this point and not explicitly believe in Jesus? Well, of course, they believed in the promise of God and looked forward to the coming Messiah was the point. But to understand the fullness of the gospel couldn't have been expected since it had just been accomplished. But that was all changing, and that is what changes here in the the history of the church. The Gentiles are brought in, and the gospel message is, Christ becomes clearly, becomes clearly into view. So Cornelius, a Gentile follower of, of Judaism, though not fully, he's not, he wasn't circumcised, but nevertheless, he seems to be walking in a right relationship with God, even prior to his encounter with Peter. Right? Descriptions of his and his company's faith, repentance, and reception of the Spirit that we have in this chapter, they serve to indicate not primarily about Cornelius' spiritual condition but they indicate that Gentiles as a group have now been fully included in the people of God under the new covenant in the blood of Christ. Like the eunuch of Acts 8, non-circumcised Gentiles could only get so far under the old covenant. So we don't really need to figure out whether or not Cornelius was already quote saved or not. The point is something much closer to this. Cornelius' experience in Acts 10 is proof that Jews and Gentiles are now brought together under the one people, under the one banner of Jesus Christ. Summarized in the phrase that we see repeated here several times about them having received and been baptized in the same spirit. In 1047, 1118, and again at the Jerusalem Council when we get to Acts 15, we'll see that as well. The point is the inclusion of the Gentiles as a whole into the covenant community of faith rather than this one individual's timeline of experience. And so let's look at what happens. So he sent for Peter, and Peter is now coming. This is the third thing that we're going to see here in verses 24 through 48. We see this central point made explicitly clear. When he arrives at Cornelius' house, something sort of interesting happens. Uh, Peter is worshipped as a god. But then he, he quickly corrects and says, I too am just a man like you. And if, that, if, if we take that as, as necessarily a, a problem that that Cornelius might make this mistake and say, well, if clearly he's not converted. If he if he went to worship Peter as as a god, we see that happening with the apostles at times. The apostle John does that with an angel in Revelation, and so we want to be careful here, being overly judgmental. He makes a genuine mistake, and Peter corrects, and so he's like, hey man, what are we what are we here to do? And Peter's surely been thinking about his vision throughout this day's journey that he's made over to Caesarea. And and here the, the interpretation of the vision becomes explicit. According to Jewish custom, not Old Testament law, but Jewish custom, it was unlawful for Jews to associate with Gentiles. But actually, as I mentioned earlier, according to Old Testament law, there were various kinds of animals that Jews could not eat. But this was no longer the case. Now, the, the, the removal of these food restrictions, these food laws, that was very clearly and explicitly done in Mark chapter 7. Um, Jesus taught that clearly there, that it's not what goes into a man but what comes out that defiles him. And yet, so the most immediate application of Peter's vision would just give more credibility, would further confirm the teaching of Jesus there. But Peter sees the deeper meaning when these visitors from Caesarea arrived. The vision has made clear to Peter that he wasn't not just to call foods common or unclean, he was meant he was not meant to call people uncommon, common or unclean. And so he he accepts this invitation to join with the Gentiles and to speak with them, rejoicing in the, the universal scope of the kingdom, which has been revealed now beyond any shadow of doubt. And he tells them the good news about Jesus. And so I want to pause for a minute and ask us a question when we think about uh, what Peter says here with regard to the gospel. Is this the same way in which you understand the gospel, in which I understand the gospel? Look at what he says. Think about what he says and ask yourself, What is the good news of peace through Jesus Christ? If someone were to ask you that, tell me the gospel. What would you say? Would your answer include the fact that Jesus is Lord of all? That He was full of the Spirit? That He conquered sickness and the devil and sin? That he was crucified, died, and was raised from the dead by the power of God to be proclaimed as the judge of the living and the dead, in whose name alone forgiveness of sins can be received? It's important as we come to a passage like this that we check ourselves and our understanding of the good news. For instance, do you believe a false gospel that centers on yourself yourself? or some other thing beside the person and work of Jesus Christ? right? Is your quote-unquote gospel one that centers on you and what you're able to do? The things that you've accomplished in, the lo- in your life, the things you've tried to do, the kindness you've tried to show, the good things you've tried to do? Or is Christ's death, his life, death, resurrection, and exaltation to the right hand of God, the message that you hold dear? Or perhaps, it's not so much a fully false gospel that you hold, but do you believe a a true but truncated gospel that focuses on Jesus as Savior, but fails to see Him as Lord? Jesus didn't just die for sinners. He also came back to life triumphant and was then installed as the Lord or King of the universe to be the one who judges the living and the dead, the one who demands the obedience of the nations. Now, As it's often said, it takes a whole Christ to make a whole Christian. Our gospel must not only exclude all the work of man as the basis of our salvation, it must also include all of Christ as the basis of our salvation. Do you believe this gospel, my friends? I pray that if you don't, that you would. And if you do, I pray that you would rejoice yet again in this wonderful message that God brings sinners into friendship with Him through His Son. The outcome of this gospel proclamation that Peter engages in here is breathtaking. We see it in forty four through forty-eight of of chapter ten. While while Peter was speaking, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard. The Jews had come with Peter that they had come with them, the guys who had come with them, they were amazed. And the spirits descent here upon the Gentiles is as it was in Acts 2 when he descended upon the Jews. Right? It's marked by the similar things. We're told speaking in tongues and extolling God. And as it was in Acts 2, there's no reason to conclude that these tongues in which they were speaking were non-human languages. As I mentioned when we looked at Acts 2, Luke isn't particularly interested in telling us exactly what these languages were that were being spoken. We have reasons to sort of conclude this or that. But the point in Acts, when you think about speaking of these tongues, these foreign tongues, is a sign. They serve as a sign of condemnation against Old Covenant Israel because they had rejected the Messiah. Israel had, as a whole, failed to embrace the Christ. And His kingdom was now advancing to the Gentiles. And this is marked... By the reception of the Spirit by the Gentile, It's really it's, uh, uh, foreshadowed in Acts 2. And here we see it uh, come to the full in, in Acts 10. Peter concludes, seeing this, they've received the same Spirit that we have. And he, he remembers, as he tells them in uh, chapter 11, he says, "And I remember what Jesus had told us about the baptism of John uh, and then the, the baptism of the Spirit. And so he concludes, they need to be baptized. With water, just like us, as Jesus had commanded, which they were, and then he remains with them for some days and then here, in the fourth place in chapter eleven, one verses one through eighteen, we see peter 's report and it 's interesting the way that Luke writes this he he this story gets told several different times in this passage he tells it at, uh, in the first part, and then Peter and Cornelius sort of share their story with each other, and then here again, Peter tells the story again uh, in acts eleven and he he says that um, well but what what prompts him telling the story rather is that when he when he gets uh, back to Jerusalem, uh, he gets questioned, and he's accused by those of what we have here in the ESV circumcision party, it's very possible, even likely, that uh, that what Luke is actually more writing here. It could be translated just those who had been circumcised. He may not. I, I don't know that he's re- referring to the extremist right wing party of the day, the circumcision party. Um, but either way, who, whoever it is, they're this group of people, and that they're upset with Peter because he had quote unquote broken the law. He had unlawfully eaten with circumc- uncircumcised men. Well, then, so. Peter's prompted to retell the whole experience, beginning with his dream. He includes Cornelius' vision as well. He talks about preaching to the Gentiles, and he gives them the outcome of the visit. And his accusers are left dumbfounded. Verse 18, it says, When they heard these things, they fell silent. And once they had regained their voices, they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. And so with verse 18 here, Luke draws our attention back to Acts 1, verse 8. You know, we've seen these summary statements along the way and Luke will continue to punctuate his narrative with them. Um, We see back in Acts 5, we saw that they had filled Jerusalem with the teaching of Christ. And then... Last week in Acts 9, we saw that the church in Samaria had peace and was being built up and strengthened, walking in the comfort of the Spirit. And now in Acts 11, we see that the Gentiles, those at the ends of the earth, had been welcomed into the one unified people of God. So what application, what applications can we make, should we make here? And I just, I want to offer one here in closing, and i uh, and I'll, I'll I'll give it to a man named Gordon Ketty and, and the way he summarizes the challenge to today's church in his commentary on Acts. He says, despite the new direction, this new shift in focus from, from the Jews to the Gentiles to, to the whole world, he says, despite this new direction taken by the early church, the challenge remains for every Christian and every church fellowship There are bridges to build with new believers from diverse cultural backgrounds. There are wounds to heal with others from a similar background. There are plenty of opportunities to share the love of Christ, but it is costly work. It costs us our entrenched prejudices, our little self-righteous feelings of superiority, our false enjoyment of imagined purity, and our coldness to many for whom the Lord has the warmest affection." The Bible is plain enough on these matters. The Holy Spirit still leads the church into the truth of the Word of God. But are we ready to listen to His voice and go where He commands? Peter listened and obeyed. And if you love Jesus, so will you. We don't wrestle today in southeast Georgia with much of a Jew-Gentile distinction that's not a major problem for us we're not worried about whether or not jews and gentiles could worship together but what are the things that we worry about for time and not to be you know overly uh pedantic we'll just say you think of it yourselves what what are the things who who are the people that in your heart in your mind that you struggle with to say i don't know about them I don't know if if we can really be together as one people of God. Brothers and sisters, we must fight with everything that we have to 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 resist the urge to divide from those who are different from us, to separate from from brothers and sisters in Christ just because we don't understand them or because we have a different take on this or that. What, what is it that unites us? Well, it's very clearly what Peter says here in, in Acts 10. It is the gospel of the Lord Jesus. So let us not only fight the, the, fight the urge to separate from one another, but let us rejoice in the fact that we are all part of one harmonious people of God. Whatever it is that might divide us, and there are many differences between just us here in this room, But whatever it is that might divide us cannot, will not, ever overcome the gospel that unites us. And so the gospel has gone forth to the nations and it continues to go day by day, week by week, year by year, expanding and advancing in the world. And we can rejoice in what God is doing and be thankful for Acts 9, 10, and 11 here. Because it's, without it, we would be lost. So let's welcome one another and all who turn to the Lord Jesus in faith and repentance. Amen.